I want to invite your attention hurriedly, everyone, to 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse number 16. 1 Timothy 3 and verse number 16. We're going to be going on educational expeditions here soon. We have become a congregation that has really become emotionally healthy in our worship. However, one of my concerns as, as an evangelist, and every preacher here uh, can attest to this, is uh, that while it's possible for a church to become emotionally healthy and to understand Jesus from the relational dynamic, it's very possible for them to become intellectually sick. You can be emotionally healthy and intellectually sick. You can be emotionally healthy and sick in your knowledge. So the Bible doesn't just introduce us to Jesus in relationship. It is not important to just know the relationship in Jesus. It's not just good. It's not important to only know that Jesus will fix it. Won't God do it? Yes, he will. God is good all the time and all the time God is good. But oh, that's the emotional side. But it, we need to be educated on the side of the lordship of Jesus. Is Jesus God or not? It's not just enough to know that, you know, Jesus turned my darkness into light and Jesus turned my, 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 Jesus turned me around and put my foot on solid ground. And that's great. And folks shout amen and hallelujah about that. And this is great because for a long time we were suppressed in our fellowship in that area. And people looked at you strange if you got emotionally stirred up. But that's not enough. We have to keep a balance because to know that Jesus, what Jesus will do, but not really know who he is, it leads to what's called empty vein worship, where you're worshiping worship. Y'all missed that. You end up worshiping worship, but not worshiping Jesus. You worship what worship makes you feel like. And it will happen, the transition will happen almost beknownst to you where you come, watch this, you transition from coming to bring something to coming to get something. And as soon as you're coming to get something, it is not worship. You, Jesus is not the object of worship, you are. Because you're coming to get something and the expectation is somebody's supposed to give you something and you're supposed to get something from this, which means that somebody else is serving you. So it is important for us, even in our pilgrimage, though we're becoming emotionally healthy, I am a big proponent of education that we know because there is a generation that is getting doctrinally confused. I didn't say traditionally confused. I'm talking about doctrinally confused. We live in the world where this is in a time where this is the, the information highway is wide open and you can hear any kind of doctrine and be exposed to any kind of teaching and sometimes that teaching and that doctrine comes into the church and people are worshiping a God they don't know because they feel them but they don't understand them. There is a feeling part of God, but there's a learning part of God. And we can't be a church that only feels it. Hello? Yes, God is real, for I can feel him in my soul, but you need to know about him so that as the scripture says, we are not tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine. You don't get to subscribe to Jesus and believe some other teaching. Are you hearing what I'm saying? 
You don't get to call yourself Christ's and you belong to Jesus, but you're subscribing to a teaching that did not come from Jesus. And so, uh, just an observation, we, it took a long time for us to get to the point where we, are, we can be emotionally healthy. Uh, it took years, as a matter of fact. As a matter of fact, there are some people in our fellowship who are still uncomfortable coming to this particular congregation because of our emotional freedom. And that's exciting, right? But we cannot leave the doctrinal posts abandoned while we pursue emotional freedom. Yes, shout, be, have joy, be exuberant with joy, but don't stop learning. Turn to somebody and say, stop, don't stop learning. Don't get to the point where when the singing is over, you tune out. Because you'll walk out of here excited and ignorant. And excited and ignorant is a mental health disorder. Oh, y'all not, not feeling me in here. To be excited and not know why you're excited? To, have, to be joy, I'm just happy. Why are you happy? Well, you know, I don't know. Well, I'm going to tell you something. God wants us to not just feel, but he wants us to learn. Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and do what? And as the evangelist here, I'm seeing that there are some things we need to go over. And I had a complex because I said to myself, Justin, if I preached the sermon 10 years ago, I don't need to preach it again. But the reality is in 10 years, a whole other generation is here. This is not the church we were 10 years ago. And I'm not talking about tradition. I'm talking about doctrine where you can look in the word and know that you know that you know that you know. So that you're not scratching your head if a guest comes here and talks about the incarnation of Christ. And you're taking notes as if this is the first time you heard it. Be educated. Turn to somebody and say, be inspired but be educated first Timothy 3:16 first Timothy 3:16 somebody said is he mad no I'm not mad I'm passionate I'm passionate there's a young generation that's hearing all kinds of stuff 20 years ago Google wasn't as hot as it is the devil is slipping te through technology and you'll be calling, we'll have young people calling Jesus just another prophet. Not just young people, but folk that come in here. Well, you know, I, you know I, I, I don't subscribe to that, but I like the singing. Well, you better stick to the word of God, because at the end of the day, singing is heaven rehearsal. The word is heaven preparation. And you can rehearse all day long, but if you're not prepared to go, your rehearsal is in vain. Amen? So let's move expeditiously. If you want to stand for the reading of the scripture, you can do so at this particular time. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse number 16 is where we're going to start, <clears throat> where we're going to read, what we're going to read today, and that will be our base text. I'm reading out of the New American Standard Bible. And by common confession, great is the mystery of godliness. Everybody say the mystery of godliness. He who was revealed in the flesh was vindicated in the spirit, beheld by angels, proclaimed among the nations, 
believed on in the world and taken up to glory. You may be seated. This morning I want to talk about the mystery of godliness. The mystery of godliness in this particular text. Somewhere along the way, godliness can be easily forgotten. The word godliness, and well, let me just get right into this text. Paul is writing to Timothy. This letter is called Timothy, not because Timothy wrote it, but because the apostle Paul wrote this letter to Timothy. This is the same Paul who on the Damascus road was allowed to see by being blinded. Because the reality is some of us don't see until God blinds us. And this man who was blinded on the Damascus Road now writes this letter to a young man that he had mentored. There's Bible for so many practical things. Our young men need mentors. Our Timothys need Pauls to take them under their shoulder. Timothy was brought up, uh, it is indicated, by his mother and his grandmother, Eunice and Lois. And there's not much word about his relationship with his dad, but there was an old preacher who looked at him and saw something in him and took him under his wing and mentored him. And as he grew up, he became, as he got older and got rubbed up against the shoulders of of Paul, he became an evangelist. And Paul is writing this letter to Timothy who he had left in the city of Ephesus. And he had left him there and he had given him instruction on what to do pertaining to the church. He didn't just leave the church in Timothy's hands, the congregation, and say, do whatever you want to do with it. There there were some divine instructions. There were some instructions given by the Holy Spirit. And in 1 Timothy chapter 3, part of those instructions is that Timothy was supposed to ordain elders and deacons, but not just any old body. He had a standard by which you had to have. Now, guess what? these, what? These were never called qualifications in Scripture. They're qualities because a qualification can be met temporarily. That's how some people in here got your jobs. You know how we do sometimes. I said we do sometimes. It says you have to have this. So, you, so what you do is you have it. As a matter of fact, uh, the police force is interesting. I had an interest in it, but it's amazing. All you have to do to become a cop You have to run a mile and a half to become a police officer. And under, in 19 minutes, you have to be able to run a mile and a half. You have to be able to run so many meters in so much time. You got to be able to jump yay high. You got to be able to do so many crunches and push-ups in so many times. But yet, just because you have to do that to become a cop, one glance over the police force of any city today will show you that that's a quality that some of them did not have to keep. This is not a dart, but what I'm making a point in is that these are not qualifications because qualifications can be met. They are qualities. So Paul is writing Timothy because of his concern for the church, and he wants to leave the church in good hands. So he tells Timothy, this is what you do. And he says at the end of this chapter, I'm coming to see you, but I might be delayed. But I'm writing these things if I'm delayed and I don't get to see you. I'm writing these things so that you know how to conduct yourself in the house of God which is the church of the living God which is the pillar and ground of truth what does you mean by conduct yourself or behave yourself he's not talking about how to act in church service 
He's not talking about I'm writing these things to you so you know how to act when you come together for worship. That's not what this is about. He's saying I'm writing these things to you so that you know how to set things in order in the household of God. Not in the place, but in the family of God. Which means there is a behavior that ought to take place and ought to be adhered to in the family of God. Forget this place. You're the family of God when you leave here. You're a daughter of God when you leave this place. You're a son of God when you leave this place. This is not about corporate worship as much as it is family business. And he says, the church is the house or the church of the living God, the pillar of ground of truth. And then he goes into this discourse. He says, without controversy, confessedly, admittedly, great is the mystery of godliness. Everybody say mystery of godliness. Now, in order to understand the mystery of godliness, you need to understand the term. The term, the word mystery, mysterion, it's a term that means something that was covered and uncovered for people to see. Meaning it was a mystery, but now it's unveiled. Okay? Godliness, yosabia, is a word which means holiness, which means piety, which means God-towardness. It means God-centeredness. It means being like God. Christianity today somehow is hemorrhaging the idea of being like God. In the name of independence, particularly in this nation, people want to be left alone to be exactly who they are and how they are and get offended as soon as you introduce a standard higher than what's comfortable to them. But if you have named the name of Jesus, God is not calling you to be yourself all day, every day. He's calling you to have the spirit of God in you so that as you walk with God, there is more of him and Unless you don't get to call yourself a child of God or godly when you have no intention, no effort, no concern, no anything about being like God. So the mystery, what was uncovered about being godly, godliness, being godly toward God, being devout to God, being God-centered, the mystery was that in the Old Testament, there was an expectation, but there wasn't an example. God says in the Old Testament, go to Leviticus 20 and 7 right fast, and I'm not going to finish this lesson. We're going to make it a series, but I want you to understand the mystery of godliness. This is God's expectation since the Old Testament. When we look at the law of Moses, it is not simply the law of Moses. It is the standard of God. It is the, it is the regulation of God. It is God's expectation. And this is what God kept saying in the Old Testament, Leviticus chapter 20 and verse number 7. God says this. Look at what he says. You shall consecrate yourselves. You shall consecrate yourselves. Therefore, and be holy. Be what? Holy. Everybody say holy. holy. That's what God expects. He says, be holy. Even as I am the Lord your God. And the Lord your God is holy. 
You want to know what God wants from people who name his name? His expectation is for you to be holy. Here's the challenge. How many of you have perfected being holy? Raise your hand. I really want to meet you. I want to shake your hand. And I'd like your autograph in my Bible. In the Old Testament, God had these rules and these regulations and this expectation to be holy. The people in the Old Testament heard God's word, but they did not see an example of God in the body like they are being holy. But God was expecting them, in essence, to come up to his standard. Oh, just stay with me. God told us in the Old Testament, be holy. I don't care. It doesn't matter what your, your, your corpse are. It doesn't matter what your hangups are. My expectation, if you belong to me, is to be holy. Step it up. Listen carefully. He says, be like me. Be set apart, be sanctified, be holy as I am holy. And he gave his law. He gave his rules. In essence, God says in your life, no matter how raggedy it is in the Old Testament, you need to step it up. Here's the problem. There was, there was an expectation of godliness but there wasn't an example so there was a mystery the mystery was covered the mysterion of holiness how is it that this is God's expectation but we don't see that God was manifest in the flesh in other words, God said, this is my standard. Be holy as I am holy. Step it up. But since we could not step it up, God says, if you can't step it up, since you can't step it up, I'll step down. Y'all see that? Thus the mystery that was uncovered is that God never changed his standard. He just put an example among us of what it looks like in real life, in flesh, to be godly. Say amen if you see that. The first aspect of this is that God was manifest in the flesh. Everybody say manifest. Here's some good doctrine for you. This is both the doctrine, and if you're taking notes, of the pre-existence, we talked about that last week, and the incarnation of God. Pre-existence and incarnation. What? Now, I need you to, you need to understand this pre-existence thing. Uh, Henry, Maurice, come here a second. Stand right there, Henry. Stand over here, Maurice. Maurice Jones represents the beginning of time. Henry represents the end of time. Jesus is here. Some of y'all missed that. You caught the illustration in the middle. 
Maurice represents the beginning of time. Genesis 1 and 1. Henry represents the end of time, the book of Revelation. Jesus is here. Not only is he here, but he's here. And so that we can step up to where God's standard is, God came down and entered into time and put on the flesh that people who exist in time wear, meaning you and I, and was made flesh. So what you have is you have a beginning out here and you have a beginning right here. Let me show it to you in the word. Go to Genesis 1 and 1. Just follow me. This is the doctrine of the mysterion of God. Okay, be educated. Genesis 1 and 1 says something interesting. We're familiar with it. It says what? In the beginning. In what? In the beginning. In the beginning. Was what? God what? Created the heavens and the earth. Here it is, creation. Creation marks the beginning. He created heaven and earth. Right? But if you look at John 1 and verse 1, go there, real life, no screens. John 1 and 1 says what? In the beginning was the word. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. Now watch this. When, you say, when it says in the beginning was the word, it puts him here. But I'm going to show you what takes him from here and puts him beyond here. In the beginning was the word. Now somebody with the naked eye would say that means Jesus was right here in the beginning. Ah, 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 ah. In the beginning was the word. Watch this. The word was with God. Now this is what puts him on the other side. And the word was God. Which means that Jesus was there before there became here. Let me show you something else. We went over this years ago. I'll go over it again. Light does not exist with the sun. You do know that, right? If you're sciencey, you'd say the, the source of all light is the sun up in the sky. Well, here's something interesting even about creation. If you read Genesis 1 and 1, it says, In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. The earth was without form and void. The Bible says darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God hovered over the face of the water. And God said... Let there be light. He didn't say let there be sun. As a matter of fact, we don't see the sun until the third day. Which means light existed before it was put into a body. The body that light was put into was the sun. Why was the light put into the sun? A portion of that light put under the sun. Because it had to benefit those who are here. No, there was another lesser light called the moon. The moon reflects the light of the sun. It is not the primary light. 
which means if the sun stops shining, the moon stops glowing. Jesus is the light. We're the moon. So he turns around and says, you are the light of the world. But you're not the primary light. Don't get it twisted. Don't start smelling yourself. Because if I don't shine in your life, you don't glow in other people's life. So you have the pre-existence in creation of life. Light means light is around. Then to benefit the world, he created the sun. And so that in the darkest time of the world, the lesser light is supposed to provide illumination to the world during its darkest hour. And if we're the lesser light, then the mysterion of godliness is that godliness was poured into Jesus, then godliness was poured into us. God poured into Christ, Christ poured into us, so that when the world is at its darkest place, we become the glow. Y'all see that? All right, thank you, brothers. Let's move on. Let's move on. Got to move on. Say amen if you're understanding this. So let's look at the text, 1 Timothy 3, 16. The mysterion, the mysterion of godliness is that God or Christ was manifest. That's pre-existence and incarnation and ministry. Pre-existence, incarnation, and ministry. Pre-existence... Incarnation, ministry. Let me, let me help you with incarnation. I want to teach it like nobody knows it. Carn, carn, that word carn in that middle of that word. You heard of the word carnal? That means fleshly. Incarnation means in flesh. Okay? Incarnation means in flesh. So that God came in flesh. In the Old Testament, he said... Be holy as I am holy. Now, you need to keep in mind, we talked about this last week. Remember, the children of Israel, God's people in the Old Testament, were always facing the threat of being influenced by idolatry. They would, in the Old Testament, the nations around them would carve something and shape it, and they'd put eyes in it, and they'd put a mouth in it, and then they'd bow down. And worship it as a deity because they needed a God that they could see. The problem with Israel's God is that Israel's God was invisible. The nations around them, they could see their gods. Israel's God was invisible. So every time Israel got a chance, they were constantly trying to create God. To where he could be seen. The golden calf. They weren't worshiping the God of e Egypt. They just figured since Moses went up to the mountain. And we have a God we can't see. And the leader left. We need to make God visible. So we'll shape him into this calf. And we'll say everybody here's God. This is what he looks like. And 
if it wasn't that, Israel was trying all constantly, trying to make God visible through the Ark of the Covenant. There was one particular instance when they're going against the Philistines that they feel like the reason why they lost was because the Ark of the Covenant was not with them. They didn't even realize that God left them. So they figured if we go get the Ark of the Covenant, then we'll win. They didn't realize that the Ark of the Covenant was a symbol of God, not God himself. So they had made an idol out of the Ark of the Covenant, which had the things of God in it. Let me tell you something. If you're not careful, meet you brothers and sisters, you'll make an idol out of the Bible. I didn't say the word. I said the Bible. You will worship the Bible. God never wants us to worship the Bible. The Bible is a means to knowing who he is. It's impossible to worship the Bible, to know the Bible and ignore God. Because in human nature, there is a proclivity to worship something. And when we are operating by sight, we have a tendency to create what we need to worship. So in the Old Testament... God led them through the Red Sea, cloud, fire, no visible being. In the New Testament, he shows up. He shows up. Now, in the Old Testament, when they wanted to see God, they couldn't see him. Go to Exodus 33. We're going to build this teaching. And if we got to break it up, we'll break it up. But you need to be educated. We're going to talk about everything we do. We're going to be excited, but we're going to be educated. Amen. 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 The children of Israel, when they came out of bondage, they were excited. They were free. But once they had gotten free, they had to be educated in the wilderness. Freedom without education is reckless. Oh, you better hear me today. Freedom without education is reckless. You, you, you unleash, that person becomes rogue. That person becomes like a cancer cell. The ident One of the distinguishing things about a cancer cell is that it's a cell that's doing whatever it wants to do. Freedom without education or direction. And so the Bible says in Exodus chapter 33, and why don't we begin reading out about around verse number 10 and see what the Bible says. Uh, Exodus chapter 33. Well, let's, let's drop down to verse 18 So, for the sake of time. This is what happened. So in the Old Testament, they couldn't see God. They couldn't see God. And I'm going to show you why. And, and you're saying, what does this have to do with our text? You're going to understand why it was such a big deal you know why Jesus was such a big deal? Because it made God. Jesus was the explanation of God in our terms. The Bible says in Exodus chapter 33, beginning with verse number 18, what does the Bible say? Then Moses said. Moses said what? I pray you. Here Moses is on the mountain having a conversation with a God he can't see. Leading people who want to see their God. Leading people who need to have eyes on the God that they're serving because they're so weak in their faith. But yet this God who they can't see has an expectation that they be holy. And Moses is having a conversation with him. What does the text say? And he said. He said what? 
I myself will make all my goodness pass before you. This is what I'm going to do, Moses. I'm going to make all my goodness pass before you. Read. And will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I'm going to let my goodness pass, and I'm going to tell you my name. Read. And I will be gracious. You talk about say my name, say my name started in Scripture before it got to Beyonce. I'm sorry, bad preacher. Keep reading. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. I will be gracious to whom I'll be gracious to. Read. And will show compassion on whom I will show compassion. In other words, I will proclaim my sovereignty. I do what I want to do. I'll show mercy to whoever I want to show mercy to, even if everybody else don't think they deserve it. Read. But he said, you cannot see my face. He said what? You cannot see my face. Moses, I'm going to let my goodness pass. I'm going to tell you my name. But you can't see my face. For no man can see me. No man can what? See me and live. Can see me and live. Y'all missing this. Don't miss this. Moses, the lawgiver, the one that went up to the mountain, the one that received the law, said, Lord, I want to see your glory. He said, I'll let my goodness pass. I'll even tell you my name. And I'll declare my sovereignty, but Moses, you cannot see my face, for no man sees my face and lives. And even on top of that, he says, I'm going to put you in the cleft of the rock. I'm going to put you in the shade because it's going to be too hot out here when I pass by. (laughs) It's going to be too bright out here, Moses, so what I got to do is I got to put you up in a corner in the rock in the mountain so that as I pass by my glory won't kill you and this is the God that the children of Israel down at the bottom of the mountain wanted to see years passed and they fell to idolatry creating gods that represented the God they couldn't see And God finally said, you know what? You want to see me? I'm going to let you see me. So he took on flesh. And the mysterion was that when God became visible, they didn't recognize him. (laughs) How do you know they didn't recognize him? Because they tried to kill him. Even the men who he chose to walk beside him didn't recognize God. As a matter of fact, go to John chapter 14 and verse number 9. Henry Higdon. Long night, huh? John 14. Jesus Jesus said to him. Jesus just said in John 14, 6, we know it. I am the way, the what? The truth. And And the what? No man what? Coming to the Father but by me. Now, he just said that in verse number six. Here's the issue. Watch everybody look at this. Look at this. The Bible says in John 14, 9, what? Have I been so long with you? Start, yet, from the, start from the first part of the verse. Jesus said to him. Je- Jesus said to him. Have I been so start long Start with verse you? eight. I'm sorry. Philip said to him. This is what I want. Philip said. Now Jesus chose him. Philip said what? Lord, show us the Father. And it is wait, 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 wait. Show us. The Father. Jesus just said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. Philip said, okay. 
No, years and years of history not being able to see God. Lord, show us. Read. Jesus said to him. Jesus I, said what? Have I been so long with you? How long I got to be with you? And yet you have not come to know me? Philip? You don't know me? He, see, see, here's the thing. Here, watch this. Keep, keep reading. Oh, I'm jumping ahead of myself. Keep reading. He who has seen me has seen the he Father. He who has seen me. See, this is the doctrine. See, this is the doctrine of the incarnate Christ. Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You're making a request that you had from the moment you met me. Now, here, here's, here's the problem. Here's the problem. God in his natural state, in his state, not natural, but in his state, is not flesh. John 4, 24 says, God is spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So if God is in his state, is not flesh but spirit, how do you recognize him? You have to know his power. You have to know his sovereignty. And you have to know his character. They saw his power. He turned water into wine. Flesh can't do that. He walked on the water. Flesh can't do that. He told a blind man, go, go and wash in the pool of Siloam. And he came back seeing flesh can't do that. If that wasn't bad enough, watch this. He stepped out on the edge of a boat. Told the wind, calm yourself down. And the waters to lay flat. Flesh can't do that. By the way, you're a spirit too. <laughs> Come in close for this doctrine. What I'm looking at with my visible, with my eyes, is not your spirit. I'm looking at your body. The spirit is who you are on the inside. Now, I got to make this practical point. Fellas, single fellas, fellas, period. Beware, because what you're looking at ain't her spirit. Sisters, look out. A spirit can't have a six-pack. Because you may be looking at a chiseled body with an overweight spirit. Uh, I didn't mean to go here. Stick to doctrine. Stick to theology. And one of these days when they stretch you across the front of this church and your friends and your loved ones line up to look at who you used to be, you will still exist. Even though you don't have a body. So what God did is he put on a body. 
And they said, show us the Father. And Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You just didn't see him in spirit form because a spirit doesn't have a body in and of itself. And one of these days, when your spirit and your body get the great divorce that every person will get, your body will be dead. For the spirit and the body without the spirit is dead. So what is the mysterion that God manifests, was manifest in the flesh? And, and, and then the Bible says he was vindicated in the spirit. Everybody look at your text. Back to 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. Okay. So somebody said, well, is Jesus God? Jesus God and God Jesus. See, our human mind can't fathom that. But let me help you understand. You're a spirit, but you're a body. And you have a soul. I'm looking at a trichotomy right now, Macmillan. I'm looking at your body, which houses your spirit and your soul. So there, there's one of you, but there are three distinct parts of you. One of these days, all those parts are going to be separated. The thing with God is he has such tri-unity that even if they were separated, they're still together because they're not just with each other, they're in each other. So the Jesus who was filled with God and filled with the Holy Spirit gets baptized in the Jordan River and the spirit comes down and descends on him and the voice of God comes out of heaven. You have three distinct, three in unity. And that's a whole nother doctrine that people get confused about. But he was justified in the spirit. We're going to have to put a pin in it here, but let me just stop and say, when we talk about Jesus being vindicated in the spirit, it means that when God came in the flesh, the spirit signed off that he was God. From the moment he was born, from the moment he was conceived, you know how the spirit was involved in that? Mary and Joseph didn't get together. The Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary, which makes Mary the first and only woman in history to get pregnant without having sex. That's called the virgin birth. The Holy Spirit was there when he was tempted of the devil. In Matthew chapter 4, and verse, in Matthew chapter 4, the Bible says, 4 verse 1, then was Jesus led up of the Spirit. It means that every claim he had as Jesus in flesh, the Holy Spirit vindicated it, proved it, justified it. This is why in Acts chapter 2, when they finally had killed him, he, Peter said, this Jesus whom you crucified, 
He was affirmed of God by miracle signs and wonders. The Holy Spirit was coming by saying he is who he say he is. He is who he say he is. When he healed a lame man, he is who he say he is. When he raised the dead, he is who he say he is. But the ultimate thing that was going to prove that Jesus was God was that one, of, one day he would die and he wouldn't have to be called out of the grave. Like Lazarus. Lazarus was called out. Jesus got up. Got to stop. Got to stop. This is the God we serve. And while we are excited, be educated and know that Jesus is God. So when you call on the Lord all night long, don't call on him like he's just the man. Stop praying to Christ like he's just the man. Stop, you know, stop talking about Jesus like he's just the man. How do we do that? And you say, I don't do that. When you, when you confine him to taking care of your bills or making you better when you're sick, you just downgraded him. Uh, what do you mean you just downgraded him? He didn't come here. Watch this. Ultimately, he didn't come here to heal sick people. That wasn't even his purpose. He wasn't coming here to feed those who were hungry. That wasn't his purpose. That was a fringed benefit. He came here to die so that we can be back in harmony with God so that God and us are not on two different pages and the page that connects us to God is Jesus. Because if we're not careful, church, hear me. You will, you will end up, you and I will end up a church that's more excited about what God does than who he is. And all you have to do is get in that posture and the devil can manipulate your perception of God. If you go to God like he's some federal bank to get a loan from whenever you're broke and your happiness depends on him giving you some financial girth, then the only thing the devil has to do to change how you see God is when God says no, the devil will capitalize on God's no. Because one of these days, he's going to say no. And if you're trusting him for things you can see, then you've made an idol out of the things you're praying for. And no longer worshiping who you're praying to. So if you're here today, I'm sorry, you are here. Bad habits, some habits are hard to break. But if you're not a child of God, you can't reflect the light of God. You could be a good person, but you can't be a Christ-filled person. And I believe there's some people in here, there's somebody in here, you, you, you're ready to come to Jesus. This is the game the devil is playing on your mind. I know he does it all the time. You know what? You're still going to do you still going to do those things. You know good and well you ain't going to change. And sometimes the devil will stick his hand up other people like a puppet and start speaking through them. You ever had a bad think, way of thinking? Maybe you said, you know, you ain't no, you know, you're not, you know, you're really, you're really not special. And you tear yourself mentally. And somebody comes along and says the negative thinking that you have in your head already? The devil is a master puppeteer. Sometimes he'll use people closest to you to tell you the things that are bringing you down. 
And even in this moment, he's telling you, no, you're not going to change. You turn to God. You turn to him. And everything you need to change is in him. Because if any man be in Christ, watch this, he doesn't become a new creature. He is a new creature. Which, see, become gives the idea that you became new and now you're old. We got to watch our language, you know, new converts. They're like, like, like you, were, you came to Jesus years ago. Like you were a new creature years ago. No, the idea is you stay new. You stay a new creature. You are a new creation. And new is another of a different kind. You're not who you used to be. Now watch this. In the eyes of God, he gives us his Holy Spirit to live in us so that our reality catches up with his declaration. <laughs> God calls you by that first. Then he puts his spirit in you so that you can grow into it. Y'all not feeling me. I, I'm sorry. I was about, about to land, land, land this. But uh, 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 come here, little Gerald. Come here. Come on. No, he's bold. He ain't scared. That's little G. <laughs> little G is a G. <sighs> and I gave this before, but we're going back through everything we went through. Oh, that's cute, isn't it? It doesn't fit them. And when God calls you, what he says about you doesn't fit. But he says grow. And the more you grow is the more it fits. Thank you, little Gerald. Go back to your seat. <laughs> One day he'll fit this. Maybe not this. I don't want him to ever fit this. <laughs> fit what your daddy wears, his size. But somebody needs to come to Jesus. This is the invitation. You're not coming to me. Well, if I come to Jesus, I've gotten into a little trouble. Would that go away? You're thinking real shallow right now. God is not about isolating you from trouble. He's about insulating you while you're in it. Meaning there might be some more fiery furnace. But there's a fourth man walking in it with you. There might be some more lion's den, but he'll keep you in the lion's den. Suspend the nature of the lion so that it attacks anybody else who gets in who doesn't have God on their side. He doesn't isolate you from trouble. He puts you in a position where in the face of trouble, in the face of loss when the devil tries to manipulate your mind and say look at what God did he don't love you you can look at the devil and say the Lord gives and the Lord has taken away still in spite of this blessed be the name of the Lord anybody been in crazy situations in this place and you prayed to God and he didn't take you out but you, you made it through sometimes the answer is not out sometimes the answer is through